Our Bible reading is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 24 and then some verses from chapter 26 as well. It's page 202 in the Pew Bibles. Chapter 24, verses 19 to 22. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. And then skip over to chapter 26 on the next page. It's entitled First Fruits and Tithes. Reading from verse 1. When you have entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put them in a basket. Then go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land that the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians ill-treated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levites, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, the widow, according to all that you have commanded. I have not turned aside from your commands, nor have I forgotten any of them. I have not eaten any of the sacred portion while I was in mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean. Nor have I offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done everything you commanded me. Look down from heaven, your holy dwelling place, and bless your people Israel, and the land you have given us as you promised on oath to our forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of God. So this autumn we're in the book of Deuteronomy. The overarching theme is choose life. It's, uh, the whole book functions really as a record of a sermon that Moses, the leader of Israel's people, preached as he uh, led them to the very edge of the promised land. 
they were about to go into the land, Moses wasn't. He would die before he got into the land. So we had an introductory sermon where we thought about this overarching theme, what it means in this book to, to choose life. And then in chapters 1 to 3, we noticed that the place where Moses starts is he talks to them about their past and he encourages them to choose a better future. He points out all the ways in which they weren't trusting God in the past. And and I think what he's saying is stop choosing death. Choose life. And we said that's, that's not very unlike what Jesus Christ says in the beginning of his public ministry when he starts preaching. He approaches people, and before he says anything to them, he says, repent. Turn around. Stop going that way. Go this way. Go with me. Last week, after a a couple of weeks of a break, we got into chapters 4 and 5, and and we said there that Moses had started to do a whole lot, where he was talking a lot about the law. And we said, actually, this, this book, the book of Deuteronomy, has a whole lot of stuff about God's law. And that took a wee bit of getting their head around. Uh, we, we needed to pause for a moment and think, well, what, what is God's law? What's the point of it? We have to remind ourselves that we can't ever use God's law to win favor with God, to get right with God. And, and we noticed that actually God didn't give his people the law and then said, obey this and I'll save you. What, did, what he did is he saved them. Do you remember this? Exodus 8, 19 and 20. He brought them out of Egypt first. He saved them. And then he gave them the law. So Moses says, the law isn't to help people to be rescued and saved. That's not what it's for. It's for something else. The law is for saved people. And what did Moses say? I don't know if you remember the, the wee slide I showed you. He said, obey God's law so that you might have life. So there's something about the law leading to life. You've been slaves in Egypt. You've been choosing a way of death. Now choose some freedom for yourselves. Obey God's law. Uh, since preaching last week, I've spoken to a few people who have told me or, or maybe emailed me to say they found that very helpful, that they'd started to understand God's law in a new way. can't save us, but it's, it's worth saved people having a sense of God's law. Um, helps us to walk in God's will and walk in his ways. So Moses says, choose Choose to obey God's law because that's a good way to live. It's a way to life, to freedom. I think, if I'm honest, it's one thing to hear Moses say that. But it's another thing entirely to to be convinced of it. To be drawn ourselves into that experience. For us to find more life uh, and more of God's purposes. what, What would that really have to do with the law? So we find ourselves saying, well, what do you mean, Moses? You say that obeying the law leads us into life. You're telling us, chapter 5, verse 33, walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper. How does that actually work? Can you give us some examples? So the book of Deuteronomy is that book of examples, really, of of the law and how it brings life. 
If you've had a go at reading the middle chapters of the book, some people are trying to read through Deuteronomy these days, and you'll see that there's a lot there, a whole lot of stuff, all sorts of laws. There's stuff there about how you should worship God, where and when and who. There's stuff about food, what food you should eat, what you shouldn't. There are financial regulations. There's employment law. There's a bit of health and safety thrown in. There are laws about marriage and family. Now, a couple of things very quickly. You have to remember those laws were given to Israel at a certain moment in time. They're culturally and uh, in time very remote from where we are today. So while a good number of the laws still make sense for us today, some of them take a bit more thinking to get a handle on them. I'll show you my favorite one. This one is a cracker. Um, chapter 25, verse 11. Uh, look it up. Look it up. Y you've got to know that some of this good stuff's in the Bible. Just while you're looking it up, I heard one Bible scholar as I was preparing for this series, he said he wonders if this is in as a joke. All right? Um, he says the, the scribe who's writing up the laws um, has given us chapter after chapter after chapter of laws about all sorts of things and then he sneaked this one in for a laugh to see if we're still reading, still paying attention, still awake. Um, you, you'll decide for yourself whether you think he might be right. Here it is, chapter 25, verse 11. If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from the assailant and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, you shall cut off her hand, show her no pity. So, it's brilliant, isn't it? Like, who needs Jeremy Kyle? Jeremy Kyle is, like, he, he doesn't do this kind of stuff. This is... So the mind boggles. Like, I'm thinking, it, it raises questions for me. Like, did this really happen? You know, this incident that's being described here. Like, that, that happened. Was it happening so often that they felt they needed a law to, to make, you know... Okay. So there's, there's some stuff here that we need to, to use a bit of wisdom, a bit, bit of, um, yeah, a bit of wisdom in, in how we hear it and how we interpret it. A couple of things quickly about interpreting these laws. These are just general ideas. First of all, don't compare these immediately with our modern laws uh, and our modern culture. Some of the things in here would, you would find, oh, I don't like that. For example, you know, it seems to be almost accepted that there's forms of slavery going on. You know, it's, it's, the, you know, it's the old American slavery kind of debate. We would look at that and we think, well, that's terrible. What I would say to you is, if you compare the laws of sort of two millennia before Christ with our culture today, they won't compare favorably. Here's what you need to do with these laws. Read up about the other nations round about Israel at this time. And you'll find that this law of Israel is a beacon of light in a very, very dark world. So the first thing is, don't compare them with here and now. Compare them with there and then. And a second thing, some of these laws, we, don't, we read them and we're not sure why they're important. 
Um, and, and even when you read the scholars, sometimes they're not very convincing about why they're important. What I would say is, if an idea is too remote for you to, to get a handle on it, try and, try and discern the underlying principle of that particular law. And actually, that's what we're going to have a go at today. We're going to try a wee bit of this today. Okay, for a few moments, back to Moses' question. Moses, you've reminded us that God saved us. Can you please explain why obeying the law brings life or how it does? Can you give us an example? And today we're in the harvest and I thought rather than just following a sequential series at this point, I'd, I'd take you to a part of Deuteronomy which talks about harvest. So that's how we're getting to chapter 24. We'll, we'll go back and we'll look at some of the, the material in earlier chapters over the next few weeks. Let, let's look again t- at today's passage. Uh, the main one I'm going to focus on is Deuteronomy 24. If you have that open there, page 202. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheath, do not go back for it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go back over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That's why I command you to do this. This passage, by the way, isn't a one-off. Uh, it seems quite interesting. I'm sure you'll agree, uh, the idea. But if you turned back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9, you'd find a slightly shorter setting. It says there, When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't go over the vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Okay. Remember what we said about these ancient laws. If you can't quite get it at first reading, if the idea is too remote, most of us don't own fields or vineyards, then try to discern the core underlying principle and what God might be saying to us. So we're not farmers. We're not spending our days harvesting. But I'd suggest that the underlying principle here is not hard to find, not hard to see. See what's going on in these passages? God is telling his people, don't pursue complete efficiency. Don't set about a life that's only about maximizing your own wealth. Be willing to forgo profit so that you can be a blessing to others who have less than you do. That'll mean life for you and life for them in your community. Choose generosity. Moses is saying. One of the things we've been noticing already in the book of Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy seems to be like a real center point for the Old Testament. To understand it well, you've got to go backwards a lot. You've got to work out, well, Moses is re-preaching stuff that's happened earlier or, or laws that were given earlier. So we've got to go back. But one of the things you'll notice uh, about Deuteronomy is it also is best understood if we move forward. And today we're going to spend a moment uh, to do that. We're going to go forward into the book of Ruth. Turn with me for a second to page 267. 
Uh, and while you're flicking up that, um, I'll just remind you of the story. Ruth's a very short book, four chapters only, and it tells, it, it probably took place about, I would guess, three, 300 years, maybe, after Moses preached his Deuteronomy sermon. Uh, the people are safely in the land, a lot of generations have passed, and this story follows really it's called Ruth, but actually I would argue she's not the key character in the story. The key character in this story is a woman called Naomi. Her husband and her two sons, they leave together for the land of Moab because there's a famine in Israel. It's set in harvest times, this story. It's got a kind of a harvest theme running through it. While she's in Moab in that other land, both her husband and her two sons die. So after some time, she decides to return home to Israel and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, travels back with her. These two women are destitute. Think Syrian refugee arriving with nothing and you're not a million miles away. No income, no prospects. And in chapter 2, the opening verses, they come up with a plan when they've returned to this town of Bethlehem. Ruth's going to go, go gleaning, picking up the leftovers where the, the harvesters have passed. And she ends up gleaning in the field of a guy called Boaz. Boaz is an Israelite. He's one of the people of God. So he's part of a community that's received the stuff that we read today. In Deuteronomy 24, he's received the whole of God's law, he's received the book of Deuteronomy, and he, he knows about Deuteronomy 24. He knows what the law says there about taking care of widows, taking care of the poor, taking care of foreigners who come among you. Look at what Boaz does. He sees this migrant worker in his field. He asks a few questions. Who is she? What, what's going on? And then chapter 2, verse 8, he speaks to her and he says, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. You know what he's doing there? He's offering her protection. If you're an unknown foreign girl working in remote fields among farm workers... You're vulnerable. You're vulnerable that some man somewhere in some moment will take advantage of you. And Boaz says, it's okay, come and stay with me. I'll make sure you're okay. Run your eye down to verse 15. We're told there about the lunch break. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather pull out some stocks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. You see what he's doing? Deuteronomy 24. I'll give up some of my harvest to make sure that this foreigner, this poor woman, this widow Naomi that she's with, to make sure that they're okay. And it's just very ordinary, isn't it? It's like it's just everyday life. The guy's just, he's in his workplace, if you like. He's, he's 
a guy who's responsible for his fields. And this is how he has chosen to live. He doesn't glean to the edge of his field. He, as I said a moment ago, he's chosen not to pursue complete efficiency, not to maximize his wealth, but he's willing to forgo some profit so that other people who have less than he has might be blessed. Folks, we're not farmers. At least most of us aren't. If I asked for a show of hands, um, there wouldn't be a whole lot of us. We don't have fields. There aren't people gleaning. So, so let's, let's again see if we can understand this Old Testament law for today. I'm sure you can see the implications of this passage for us. If God wanted his people back then to use their valuable resources, namely their land, in a way that blessed others, then it seems likely that he would still want us to use our valuable resources to do the same. We don't use land to generate income anymore, not most of us. Most of us generate income using time. Uh, we sell our time to an employer, and that is a way in which we generate wealth for our household. So maybe that's a, a thing that we need to think about. Have you ever considered how you're making that choice? Have you ever considered selling less of your time to an employer so that you can use more of your time to bless other people in God's name? Have you ever considered choosing work that doesn't necessarily maximize your wealth but allows you best to serve in the kingdom of God? Throughout our married lives uh, and at various stages before children, with small children, now with growing children, Claire and I have always tried to be aware of this, this dynamic, being wise about what kind of work we collectively as a household choose to take on, how much paid work, what nature. These are hard decisions, aren't they? Sort of wrestle with them. But we've always wanted, if possible, to be able to have some space around the edges. If we had made choices where we discovered there was no space left around the edges, I think we'd soon say that didn't feel like a good choice. It doesn't feel like where we want to land. What about the money? we earn and bring into our households. Have we ever considered adjusting our standard of living downwards so that we can increase our generosity? The Old Testament law, the passage that we didn't dwell on this morning, I'm not going to, it talks about giving a first fruits to God, giving a tithe. A lot of debate about how to do that, but, but the principle's there. We give to God first and we give to him a proportion of what he's given us. Imagine 
being people who were able to be free with these two incredibly precious resources, our time and our money. It's inspiring stuff, inspiring but challenging. Coming back to where we were last week, this idea of, well, if these are given to us as laws, what are we supposed to do about them? Like, do we, do we say, oh, it says I need to be more generous with my time and my money, therefore I should? Let's not do that. If that's what you're hearing today, you're not hearing me. Let's not try to keep the law to gain credit with God. We can't keep the law. Won't ever be able to keep the law. But we know someone who can. Jesus has already done that. He gives us his perfect record of law keeping as we trust in him. So don't, don't let's try to keep the law. Don't let's read Deuteronomy and come up with some long list of things that we might do to be acceptable to God. Don't even go there. I don't want you to go there. That's not the journey I want to lead you on. But what if we took to heart Moses' idea that obeying the law does lead to life? That it's the good life? To walk in God's will and his ways is the best way to live. Even then, I don't know about you, I would need a lot of help with that. I'd need somebody to keep the law for me. I'd need somebody to help me want to keep it. I don't usually want to keep God's law. I'd need somebody to help me want to do that. Someone who'd change it from a set of rules for me into to a passion to long to, to be like God. And that, of course, is what God gives us, the Holy Spirit of Jesus. What is it he said through the prophets? I'll put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. The law here and here. We wouldn't need to worry about looking it up and writing lists of it and trying to remember it and trying to keep it. We would be keeping the law and it would come as naturally to us as a fruit growing on a tree. Folks, it's harvest time and this is our harvest Sunday and I'm seeing the fruit I'm seeing a harvest in your lives God is writing his law on your hearts and you're bearing the fruit can I tell you some things I'm saying care for the poor he says and you give to storehouse. Today I underestimated how much you would take that to heart. I, I reckon this is only a wee tip of the iceberg kind of moment here. It's a 
but it's, uh, it speaks to me very powerfully of your, your desire to, to live out the law of God. We give to the world development appeal. We give to other things. We could give more, and we will. But he's starting to write it in their hearts. Look out for the foreigners among you. Well, there is such a thing as Globe Cafe where members of this congregation have it in their hearts to give up their time to welcome the world to our city and to say, if nobody else in this city knows you or notices you, we do. You're welcome here. Don't neglect the widows in your community, Moses says. And so... 20-something members of our congregation offered recently to, to be on a visiting team to call in the homes of our older, more vulnerable members to spend time and give love to them. We've had a team working for years going down to Bloomfield's nursing home to make sure that the, the people there people with dementia, people who can't remember yesterday but can remember 60 and 70 years ago. People go and sing the hymns with them that they remember from Sunday Club when the whole of their lives has slipped away. Don't forget the widows. Don't forget the fatherless, Moses said. And I know that in recent times a good number of people in this room are asking questions about um, fostering and about adoption. And you know what? I'm not surprised because he's writing his law on your hearts. Do you see what we're... The Spirit comes... The more time we spend with Jesus, the more open we are to his spirit, the more he takes these things that lead to life and he writes them on our hearts. And we find ourselves wanting to do them. Folks, every time we take a little bit less of life's resources for ourselves and every time we find a way to to push that out and to share that with others then we choose life we choose the generosity that God created us for we're not trying to obey the law we're not doing this to please God and to win his favor we're doing it because he's written it in our hearts he's put it inside of us He's made us more like Jesus. And now we're starting to choose generosity. And it's becoming a way of life. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you aren't like the guys who guilt us into ways of behavior. 
You don't tell us you should do this. The invitation of your word is to come, follow me. I'll lead you into life and I'll give you my spirit who will help you to live it. What a beautiful invitation. Lord, we're, we're still here. We still think that we can find more life without you than we will with you. Lord, I pray you'd lead us to a point where we see that we're barking up the wrong tree. That you've got all the life and that we'll find it only when we come to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes the best thing to do is just to say thank you to God.